0: The clock is ticking on its usefulness in terms of what Trump needs for politics. You know, the the Internet is always shifting. Right. And, you know, we've seen lately video is the new main currency like that. Is, you know, there is a reason why platforms like TikTok are, are giant and growing all the time. But that conversation is, again, totally different from true social. True social is nowhere near that possibility of, of growth that these other these other platforms are. So it's all, again, going to rely on on Trump. Can he build up uh, the network effects to say to, to convince people that this is somewhere they want to spend their time? And just outraging them politically is not really going to pierce the mainstream in a way that he needs.
1: I'm Quinta Jurassic and this is the Lawfare Podcast, March 3rd, 2022. Today, we're bringing you another episode of Arbiters of Truth, our podcast series on the online information ecosystem. Almost immediately since he was banned from Twitter and Facebook in January 2021, Donald Trump has been promising the launch of a new, Trump-run platform to share his thoughts with the world. In February, that network, called Truth Social, finally launched. But it's been a debacle from start to finish, with a lengthy waitlist and a glitchy website that awaits users who finally make it online. Drew Harwell, who covers technology at the Washington Post, has been reporting on the less-than-smooth launch of Truth Social. Evelyn Dweck and I spoke with him about who, exactly, this platform is for, and who's running it. What explains the glitchy rollout? What's the business plan, if there is one? And how does the platform fit into the ever-expanding universe of alternative social media sites for right-wing users? It's the Lawfare Podcast, March 3rd. You can't handle the truth. Social.
2: So, Drew, let's start with the most important question. Uh, What number are you on the wait list for Trump's new truth social platform? Because a reporter from The Verge tweeted out this morning that they were finally able to sign up for an account and that they are one millionth, 13,000th and eighth in the line. Uh, Did you do any better than that?
0: I'm so upset because she's beaten me. I'm only six hundred thousand one thousand four hundred and ninety-two. And I have not made any ground actually in the last five days. So yeah, I've still got a long time to wait before I join the the wonderful utopia that is Truth Social.
1: And what is the wonderful utopia that is Truth Social? Like just give us the basics. Why was it launched? I remember Trump had a blog. Uh, a few months ago, what happened to the blog? Why have we moved on to Truth Social?
0: Yeah, so all great questions. So a lot of this starts way back uh, January 6, 2021. A lot of us probably remember it, right? The US Capitol riots from Trump supporters that led Facebook and Twitter to finally say, uh, you know, in their words, enough is enough. They They booted former president Donald Trump off the platform because they were worried about him inciting more violence. And we have not seen him on Twitter ever since. And so in the weeks after that, there was sort of discussion and frustration in the Trump camp. And many months later in the summer, Trump came out with his blog. Uh, it's called From the Desk of Donald J. Trump. And it was extremely Spartan. It was just, you know, it was, Look, kind of like a live journal did fifteen years ago, except with even fewer features. And it was very, you know, it was just his a collection of effectively his messages with none of the tools to retweet or anything like that. The problem with that blog was no one looked at it, no one was sharing it or linking it. The messages were still getting across mainly because journalists were sharing them on their own bigger platforms. But Trump himself was not connected to. The social networks anymore so he wasn't really able to decide his own destiny we wrote a little bit about that at the time just kind of pointing out the traffic data that showed it was effectively and also ran on the internet i mean it just was not making a splash at all and 29 days after starting that blog trump told his people to put it out of its misery effectively Uh, they shut down the blog he still puts out his messages on email but there's no real consolidated way if you're not going to the trump website and looking for them to, to share them. So, you know, after that failure, there was a move still from the Trump people to go even bigger, right? And Trump was saying, you know, I don't need Facebook and Twitter, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to run the technology, I'm going to be the, the centerpiece, you know, the, the, the feature presentation of this whole platform, and it's going to bring everybody to this website. And so Truth Social was born. And so for weeks, people were sort of wondering, when is it going to come out? What's it going to look like? There were some early kind of indications that it would really not be all that different than the, the social networks we've had for a long time. And in the last couple of weeks, it's finally opened to normal everyday users. It's on the internet if you can get in. And here we are.
2: Yeah, I think that comment that you made about uh, the blog still getting exposure because journalists were sharing it on their platforms is such a fascinating dynamic because after years of sort of decrying the fact that Trump was available still on Twitter, he was then booted off and then journalists brought brought him back for us, which was, I thought, very interesting. It was like the the New York Times, after he got booted off shortly after that, uh, compiled very thoughtfully a searchable database where you could organize by topic um, all of the insults that Trump had uh, mm-hmm. Sent out on Twitter over the course of the time that he had an account. Um, it's just a, it's a fascinating dynamic to think about. You know what the point of the ban is, and um, the media's role in that as well.
0: Well, I was just going to say about that. You know, we've we've always talked about how effective of a promoter Trump is, and he's he was good at that for a long. I mean, he, his messages are just. They're just colorful enough. They're just incendiary enough they're, that they raise people's emotions. And he's really good at that. But I always thought the, the most impactful part of his tweets were the bottom line that showed how many people had retweeted them and liked them and shared them to their people, whether they liked what Trump was saying or not. They were doing his work for him by distributing that message. So you know, when Trump went to a blog, it was still the same stuff he was saying all the time. If anything, he had more space to say it. And yet it was just making zero splash because there was none of that infrastructure to actually convey the message. There were none of these network effects. And so I think that was really revealing of the limits of just being a, you know, a a provocative messenger, right? You can, you can shout into the internet, but if nobody's passing it along, what really good is it?
2: Yeah, so what really good is it and the infrastructure question? Uh, a million-person-long waitlist is clearly a sign of enormous success and not at all uh, misfunction. So why is the waitlist so long and has anyone actually managed to get access to the platform yet? Like, another way to put it is uh, does Truth Social, as we stand today, which was supposedly launched to much fanfare on President's Day. Does it actually exist yet? Is is the truth out there?
0: <laughs> the truth is out there. It, it, it exists evidently. Um, and maybe it's just my uh, lack of, you know, connection to people who are actually on there. But I don't really see many people talking about things that are happening on Truth Social. You know, before it released publicly, they had kind of given an appetizer to pro-Trump supporters, giving them early access to it. So they have posted, you know, screenshots, of course, onto Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else of what the website looks like. So we know it is out there. And, you know, the the Trump people have said, you know, a wait list is a good thing. We have so many people who are dying to get on the platform that they're willing to wait. And, you know, I think that's, that's a reasonable response. I mean, I, I don't get the sense that these are all just on the waiting list. I mean, there are lots of people, ourselves, excluded, who are trying to really get on there and, and eager to see what's going on. But it, it maybe it's obvious, but like websites don't typically have wait lists, right? Um, that's not really a part of the internet. I mean, it's not like you're signing up for a limited space on Ticketmaster for a concert, or like a, a website. Is designed for lots of people to use it all at once, and you know it also should be said like a million-person waitlist seems like a lot, but when you look at how many people use Facebook and Twitter on a single day, I mean, it's in the hundreds of millions. So the, the what Truth Social is, you know, framing as like a big success. What even if that waitlist is accurate, the the business should be a fraction of what a normal functional website should expect. So. But yeah, I mean, we do get a sense that it is out there. We, you know, we have seen sort of beta unreleased versions of the website. They have not exactly set the world on fire. They're just a normal, it's just a normal website. And you can see actually from the code, if you do a little digging, the Trump people have not created really anything from scratch. They've taken a a piece of software called Mastodon. It's open source. So anybody can use it with some, you know, limited rules to make their own social network. And you can, you can find all across the internet there are so many communities who have used Mastodon already to run their own social network, so Trump is really not even the first to attempt something like this so you know all all of that is to say what they're attempting to create should not be impossible, and you know I've talked to people who say it should not even really be something that you have to wait to get on and so for them to do this giant splash have months to build something using tools that were already widely available, to open themselves to great fanfare, and then to still have people waiting for some undetermined amount of time to even see what the website looks like a week after the the grand reveal is just kind of shocking to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit more about the, the underlying code and the fact that they're using Mastodon. As you say, Mastodon is a, a service that a lot of different platforms have used. Typically, they don't market themselves as something new and revolutionary. They tend to acknowledge upfront that they're using material from Mastodon. I mean, I'm I'm curious what you think that says about the level of technical talent that uh, Team Truth Social has on board. And I mean, maybe if that speaks to whether the weight is manufactured or whether it's actually speaking to problems they're having in terms of getting everything up and running.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, th- g- good question. So I want to be as, as objective as I, I as I possibly can. This website is not technically sophisticated. And, and I can say that because a couple months ago, like in the hours after they announced that Truth Social was going to be a thing, and, you know, this new Trump Media Technology Group, which is like this Trump startup that they say is going to be this umbrella organization for all of these amazing things that have not been released yet when they announced true social within a couple hours, some people, I, I, I hesitate to even call them hackers. They're really just people who go around the internet. They are not doing any like breaking into websites. They found the, the early beta version of the website just out on there, uh, out on the internet. Um, no need to have a password. You could just sort of see it. It was just openly accessible. And so um, one, that is not what a normal tech company would, would do, uh, which should be obvious. Uh, two, you know, I could start using the website. I I made an account that was at Mike Pence, which again should not be something any normal schmo should be able to do. And you could see from there that they had done really not all that much to customize what Mastodon made available to anyone. There were no real security safeguards. There were no real signs of technical infrastructure to like Suggest that this was going to be something that would not just stand as its own web business but take on these giant corporations like Facebook and Twitter that have been doing this for many years and so yeah, the thing with Mastodon, there's this whole culture that will probably be kind of nerdy to people, but you know there's this culture around open source people who do open source software it's open because they share pretty much everything, and when you use something like Mastodon, you commit to saying, okay. On the website i am using mastodon you know i i i owe a lot to these developers who have sort of paved the way for me and anything i do to kind of customize my version of mastodon i'm going to share back with everybody who has used mastodon already it's just part of the the sort of team spirit of open source the early website that the trump people had created it was very very clearly Mastodon. you could see it in the style you could see it in the code but somebody had removed any indication that they had used Mastodon. They had not included any kind of attribution or citation, which again, sounds kind of technical, but what it suggests is that one of the only things they did on this website was remove the fact that they had taken this code from other people. And at the time, you know, the Mastodon people were frustrated because not all, you know, the politics aside, they just thought that was kind of shady of them, but it also just sort of like, you know, that's not something a, a, a legitimate developer would do. And so there were just so many questions of like, is this for real? Is this just like a big Potemkin village of a social network where it it looks sort of functional on the outside, but is really kind of weak on the inside? And, you know, it sounds kind of like I'm taking potshots at True Social, but wh- why this is important is like, this is the property that Trump said would hold you know, his musings, both outside the White House while he's at Mar-a-Lago, but also ostensibly, you know, his musings, even when he, if he gets into the White House a second time, it seems like he is angling for that. So for him to suggest that he would take, you know, these potentially presidential messages to this website that is effectively just held together by chewing gum was kind of kind of alarming and kind of made you wonder whether this was really all going to actually function when it hit the wild.
2: I like how many times you've said today, that's not how this is <laughs> supposed to work. <laughs> um, it's 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 great. Um, it's a very diplomatic way of, of putting it. <laughs> I'm trying. So, I mean, I'm curious, like you you teed up the last question and I like, what's going on? Are we all just being had? Is this just some sort of massive troll? I mean, the, the thing is not working and it it should be, it's been announced to be. It's kind of facetious and hilarious. You know, the 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 equivalent of tweets are called truths and when you retweet they're called retruths, um, which is kind of beyond parody. Are we all just being had? Do you have any idea sort of is this a serious Project is it supposed to be a social network one day, or is there some sort of like business proposition behind this? Do you have any sort of uh, speculation, or have you heard anything about whether you know this is some massive joke, or, or really is um, just a failed attempt to create a social network?
0: Yeah, uh, so you know anything could happen, right? I could, they could surprise us. I don't really have any reason to think that they will surprise us just yet. Just yet. I mean, what they have shown right now is entirely underwhelming and you know for perspective like you know i i cover tech i talk to a lot of people in this in this world the the conversations you have around facebook and twitter and these like legitimate places where people have discussions and share their lives the the discussions around those websites could not be any they're like a totally different language to when you talk about truth social so you know, all of these questions about content moderation and like real important debates, you're just not even having with true social because the website doesn't even, you can't even, you can't even access it. So it's like, so, you know, I I think it's worth just like, yeah, realizing that this is, at this point, it's, it's a nothing, it's, it's a big nothing burger, as, as Trump would say. So, you know, that could change, right? And, and, I I will say that from a business standpoint, the, the promise of Trump Media Technology Group has already raised a lot of money. There's this kind of financial maneuver using these blank check companies called SPACs, and they're going to be effectively taking the Trump company public. And, you know, the Trump company has this fancy pitch deck that says they're going to, you know, once they conquer the internet, as they say, they're going to move into TV production and have their own TV channel and they're going to run their own, you know, version of Amazon web services. That will be the infrastructure for the rest of the internet. And they have a lot of money coming their way. But in terms of like development sophistication, and in terms of like, actually a vehicle to do any of the things that they're promising to do, we don't see it, right? You don't see a huge amount of like, talent working on these things you don't see like a big fancy office you don't i mean and not, none of those things are entirely necessary to building a website that people would use but right now all they seem to have is uh the trump brand and the trump brand means some things to some people but it doesn't mean you're going to build this web business that anybody will actually pay attention to so right now they're just counting on that the prestige that trump has created with with his voters and there are certainly still people in America who who love Donald Trump but it, is it enough to hang like a long term financial enterprise off of i i don't think we really have evidence to support that just yet
2: yeah so what are the markets doing then like i am just a simple legal academic uh tech scholar so i don't understand this whole like special purpose acquisition company spac stuff that's going on but the stock price for the for the spec that will merge with the trump company um skyrocketed after the the launch of truth social when it went to number one on the app store even though it didn't work at all are the markets completely off here like I mean you're saying that from your perspective it doesn't appear that they have any of the infrastructure or talent to actually follow through do you know how they're intending to make money are the markets do the markets know something that we don't You know,
0: possibly I I think the markets are really just betting that Trump will surprise all of us yet again, right? Like the investors really don't have much to go off of, at least publicly. Maybe they're having these conversations privately, but we don't really hear about it. What they're going off of is just like the 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 belief that Trump will pull another fast one and, and surprise the internet and take down these other companies. So you know, people investors are investing money into this. Spac, it's called it's called Digital World Acquisition Corp, but effectively it's just going to become Trump Media, and it it it's the market. So they're kind of it it's really amorphous, right? They're just kind of throwing money into the void. There's no real in terms of like a business. You a, a normal investment environment would have people looking at the financials of a company, seeing like, okay, how do they make money? What are their profits? How many people do they hire? Like, where are they going to offer their products, who are their competitors. This spec just has, Trump is going to do amazing things and all the money stuff will follow. So, you know, Trump has proven people wrong before, right? We don't want to discount him in that way. He's he's also run a number of failed businesses. He's had multiple, you know, corporate bankruptcies. He's, he's run failed airlines and stake lines and You know hotels and golf courses and all this stuff so it's not entirely unexpected that trump would have people throwing money at an undefined financial promise but you know these people can pull their money out anytime right and at some point there's going to be some expectation that there will actually be a functioning product that makes money and that's the big question you know in terms of like how this thing will make money at some point that's another big thing, right? Like when you think about a Facebook or a Twitter, a big part of it is advertising. Who is going to advertise on Truth Social? Who are the companies that are dying to get a piece of that Trump brand and need to do it on Truth Social? I think that's a bigger question, right? You know, during his presidency and certainly since, the brand has not been exactly toxic but it's not something a lot of companies want to affiliate themselves with um there are still people who try and reach the trump audience you see ads on you know the 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 podcast for steve bannon and and rudy giuliani but uh these are not giant companies that are promoting themselves to to that audience and they realize that the trump audience has some limits and that they don't exactly know what he's going to do. So you add that uncertainty around the Trump brand to the uncertainty that the website will actually work for people. And it's just a kind of a big question mark of what people are expecting for their money.
1: My main question here is, is what role journalists have played in kind of drumming this up um, and making it seem like a potentially financially successful investment? I mean, because I I do feel like, you know, in much the same way as when Trump would tweet, the vast majority of the commentary that I would see on Twitter would just be journalists retweeting the tweet or making jokes about the tweet. You know, now I see his, his sort of emails that go out because journalists are posting them. If we think that this is potentially a Potemkin village, how are you thinking of the role of the press in both scrutinizing that but also potentially holding it up. It, it feels like yet one more manifestation of the same dynamic that journalists struggled with all through the Trump presidency of, you know, how much attention do we give the crazy things this guy is saying?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that is that is a very long debate. It is something we all need to really be thinking about and it's it's really, it's it, you know. And so the two sides of it are one don't talk about him ever because you're amplifying the BS. And the other side of it is, well, he's the president, or he could be running for office again. He's clearly still the de facto leader of one of two main parties in this country, we have to talk about him. Different people believe different things. I think the only, I mean, in my mind, and, and maybe I'm wrong, I think the only way to countenance this and deal with this very real conflict is just to like, call it as we see it, right? Like the guy is still raising money the guy is still a, a political force in this country but he has limits right he is not a superhero or a supervillain he is at this point a guy who lives in Florida and is trying and mostly failing to build a website <laughs> there are many like them although he has some unique points so you know with Trump, truth social specifically uh, what i was kind of interested in was if, if it did work how were people going to respond to the stuff that was on true social were they going to move it to all the other platforms where trump has been banned and effectively tear down that little firewall that sort of prevented discussion from him on there with true social not even really being something working that's kind of solved that at least for now but there will be a question in the future like do we share everything that trump says and, you know, he's going to say things that will make people emotional. He's going to say things that are going to sound ludicrous and absurd and unsubstantiated because that is what he has done this whole time. You know, there's, I think, a different thought about Trump now in 2022 versus 2015, 2016 and during his presidency where, like, at this point, in some ways, you know what he's going to say, right? There's a predictability to the outrage machine that he has created and when he's in the white house and he's steering policy it's one thing because he's in the room helping make these decisions but when he's outside of it and his political power has dwindled to just his effect on other people and his effect on the 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 people who support him i think we have to be really careful about extending that kind of uh, that kind of gift to him because again like he says the message but we're the ones conveying it you know and and not just journalists but people with big platforms on on the internet like we are the ones who are spreading what he's discussing so if we don't spread that we're uh, you we're we're affecting the, the the power of that message but you know i also don't believe that you can just totally ignore everything he says or anybody says and i i think you know I think in some ways that argument can undermine the fact that people understand what they're seeing, right? We don't, we don't, we shouldn't be the ones deciding what messages we see coming from him. But I also don't think that means we should share every single thing he says. And I will say, you know, he is still talking a lot over email. You can subscribe to his emails, but the messages he's saying are not really breaking through in terms of visibility. Like you think back, I mean, think back to... 2016, 2017, every day was a new Trump saying. Sometimes there were multiple news cycles in a single day of, of the things he was tweeting. You don't see that now. And it's not just because he's not in the White House. A lot of that is because he's, nobody's seeing it. He's not on Twitter and Facebook. And the the people who are sharing his messages are a, a fraction of, of the crowd they were before. So I think that's interesting. And, it, and it, you know I, I will also say, from our interviews with people who are in Trump's orbit he knows that he he knows that his influence has waned and that's fueling that desire for something like true social that would allow him to again plant a flag and re- remain relevant even when he's not really in the in the conversation anymore
2: so i feel like i have massive deja vu because we've heard this story before you know first conservatives got kicked off twitter And then Parler was supposed to be the right-wing alternative. And then there was Getter. And then there was Trump's blog, which we've already talked about. And all of these, except for the blog, still exist. And there's been some serious money pouring into them, but they haven't really become serious alternatives to the mainstream platforms as yet. And um, one reason might be because as the founder of MeWe, another alt-tech platform told the New York Times the problem with Truth Social, Ghetto and Parler is these are Twitter competitors and they are echo chambers for a narrow political spectrum. Echo chambers don't have broad appeal. So the idea being that trolling the libs isn't so much fun if there are no libs around to troll. Is there something about Truth Social that suggests this will be any different, either from a product perspective or a strategic perspective? Or is the idea just simply that Trump alone is a big enough deal and has enough pull um, that this one could be the one that takes off?
0: Yeah, at this point no there's no reason to think that they will escape that very real problem that has tarred the at this point many other websites that are doing exactly what they're doing i mean the truth social argument is that we're going to be like those websites but hey we also have trump is that a winning marketing tactic i don't know it seems underwhelming to me you know and that that point about you you can't troll the libs on these websites it, it's now been something a lot of people have been saying but it's it's totally right and I, and i say that because we did a story where we gathered data on a number of top pro-Trump voices, QAnon voices, anti-vax voices, far-right conservative voices. We followed their uh, follower counts over the last year or so on a number of websites, not just the ones we've been talking about, but also like Rumble, the messaging app Telegram, because we wanted to see like, okay, you know, after January 6th, a lot of these people got a big bump because there was this, you know, argument that, Big tech is suppressing us and silencing us. It's totally unsubstantiated. And, you know, we did see a little bit of a bump, but their audience is totally flatlined. And there was this really shocking plateau in audience for these people who, when they were on Facebook and Twitter and these other big sites, were just constantly growing their audiences. And so I think what that tells you is that. The, the shtick can get old on these sites, right? You, you go to a place like Gab and it's all far-right politics all the time. It's all the same memes. You're talking to people who already agree with you. And so that can get a little boring to people because, you know, one thing I don't think we reflect in, in, in the newspaper a lot because we talk about, you know, political leanings is like people's media diets are very diverse, right? There, there are people who are very politically engaged. That's all they want to talk about. But for a lot of people in this country and around the world, they they have different interests, right? Politics and Trump and, and, and Biden and whatever is, is a fraction of what they're interested in during the day. So if you're making people decide between a site where it's all political outrage all the time and a site where their family and friends are sharing photos and they're reading stories, and they're seeing funny memes, and they're getting recipes, like, it's just no contest for people. And we can see that in the data. So I think that's going to be a big problem for Truth Social, right? I mean, and you see from Gitter and Parler, they're trying to convey that, hey, we have other things too, right? You can And you can go on Gab right now, and there's cooking groups and that kind of thing. But those are not the main reasons why somebody would join a website like Gab or Gitter or Parler. It's what gets you in the door is the politics. And let us also, yeah, realize like this is a saturated market already. Like, and these websites work. You you can actually go on Parler and Gitter and Gab right now and create an account and see other people. You're not necessarily going to see Trump, but you may see lots of other people who say pretty much the same thing. Uh, So, you know, again, is the Trump brand hot enough, as he would say, to sustain a business when there are a half dozen doing pretty much exactly what it's already doing, and many others who are doing many other things even better.
1: I have to say, I'm pretty curious about who joins Gab and then joins a, a cooking group. Like, what what kind of recipes <laughs> can you get there?
0: <laughs> um, lots of uh, you know, campfire kind of cooking stuff. Like, you know, you go out into a forest and you make stuff around a campfire. But again, this is, it is not going to be like rivaling Epicurious at any point for recipes. These are these, you know, the membership of these groups are like microscopic compared to the let's go Brandon anti-vax groups on the same kinds of sites.
1: So I'm curious, if you have a sense from your reporting of like what the potential user base of the site is if you if you were able to speak to anyone who intended to use it i mean i i will say before we recorded this i went and looked up reviews of the app on um the apple app store and it seemed to be mostly half people saying this is terrible I can't get it working and half people saying this is great it's a screw you to you know the mainstream media sort of what what you would have expected like who who are the rest of the people who are on this platform other than journalists are they mostly going to be the the Trump base
0: Yeah I think that is the main market and you know obviously they hope that they can expand beyond that but the the people who are going to this are going to be people who are already supportive of Trump who who believe that you know, big tech and the media and, and the elites in this country are imbalanced against their, their conservative beliefs or far right beliefs. And, you know, it's funny because the reviews on the app store, there, there are definitely those two camps. And there are also people in the middle, you actually see who say, this website is amazing. I love what Trump is doing. I love this idea. I wish I could get it to work. Or like, you know, I, I can't wait for this to work because it's going to solve every problem that Silicon Valley has given us. So the the main enthusiasm for the site right now is people who are already in Trump's camp and would support him no matter what he does, as, as far as we can tell. And, you know, Trump got uh, 70 million people who voted for him in last election. So that's not a nothing audience and you know one of the big planks of the republican platform is that the developers in california who run a lot of the websites we use are opposed to what we believe and that i mean that is that is a resonant argument for people whether it's true or not i i think from the evidence we can find that it's not true right you know there are many examples of facebook and twitter Actively promoting conservative content and lots of examples of of, of left leaning content being pulled from the site. So you know, I think it's I think that argument is actually fairly vapid, but it, it's something that people believe, and it's it's certainly an argument that Trump and Senator Cruz and many others have have been uh, shouting for a long time. So there are people who believe that, and for those people, they feel like True Social is something that I can commit to and and make a part of my diet and. And, you know, the people I've talked to who have been trying to get on Truth Social or there are even some people I talked to who joined like scammy Truth Social knockoff sites that are not real because they believe that it was the real Trump site. There are people who were, you know, very much pro-Trump people, but there are other people like there was this guy in Britain who obviously not a U.S. voter and was not even really a Trump fan. He was like, I think he has too many skeletons in his closet, but I agree that there's there's something wrong on the internet, right? Like there's just, you know, it's unfair that, you know, conservative views are, are censored online. So that argument, and I think people would call it misinformation because it's sort of based in this conspiracy theory of like a grand a grand movement against one certain political side that's not supported. You know, there, there are people who believe that and, and for them, Truth Social is the app they want to add.
1: I also want to ask about the team making the app the main person I have in mind is the the CEO of the organization that's putting out this app, which is Devin Nunes. Listeners may be familiar with that name. He was the chair and then the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee and stepped down early from his position in the House of Representatives to take over as CEO of this company, which is particularly incredible because... Uh, It seems like there are, you know, odds on the Republicans are going to take the House um, in the November elections. He's essentially giving up a chair, uh, you know, leading one of the most powerful committees in the House of Representatives to run this company that's putting out this website that's having a little bit of a difficult time, <laughs> shall shall we say. So I'm curious what you make of that and if there are any other you know, interesting characters we should know about running this and, and what it says that those people are involved.
0: Yeah. I know a lot of people who are like uh, befuddled at this move from Devin Nunez to leave Congress after 19 years with a fairly robust profile To join a, a, yeah, a a tech startup with questionable ambitions, that that has surprised people. It also should be said, you know, Devin Nunes is not a tech person. He does not have a background in in this kind of business, certainly not a background in social networking or tech development or even like creating websites. So that was also surprising to people, you know, Truth Social is a website created by Effectively, a bunch of people who have not even really given their name. One thing, you know, in the materials that they proposed in the pitch deck when they were telling investors, hey, give us money, they didn't even really name most of the people working on the sites. And they did something even weirder because they listed the executives' names just with their first names and not their last names. So, like the guy who has answered questions for people who is listed as the chief product officer was just called Billy B. Billy B period. So again, this is not normal. This is something you would never see from a normal functioning website and, you know, normal, normal functioning web businesses have hundreds or thousands of employees running the service from all angles, not just like keeping the thing up, but like doing cybersecurity and marketing and all of these things that we don't get a sense that Truth Social actually has. So. Again, any of that could change, right? This is a website that has only really been public for a couple of weeks. I, I I don't mean to say uh, it could never happen, but even you know, in the early days of when Twitter and the Facebook were startups, they had I think a more robust presence, and uh, it's going to be kind of interesting to see whether this company actually grows up and gets the funding and legitimacy it needs to actually compete or if it's just kind of kind of remain what it is now.
2: So let's talk a little bit about content moderation, of course. If you go to the homepage of the Truth Social website right now, it says follow the truth. Truth Social is America's big, tent social media platform that encourages an open, free and honest global conversation without discriminating against political ideology. And, you know, I've read quite a few sets of content moderation rules in my time. I, I don't think I've ever read one that banned discussion of sugar babies, so this is, <laughs> this is new. Uh, and the, all of the terms of service are, are Real trip. I, I guess it's it's funny to read them, given that you know the idea supposedly is that this is supposed to be a reaction against the draconian censorship regimes of big tech, because uh, it actually bans quite a lot of stuff and, and not just discussion of sugar babies. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what you found in the in the uh, content moderation rules.
0: Yeah, it's it really is a rem- it's a remarkable document, and not just because you know. Trump is not exactly known for being very committed to the truth, but also just because it's more restrictive than even even like a Twitter. <laughs> it bans, yeah, not just sugar babies and discussion of sexual fetishes. It also bans anything, you know, and these are in quotes like false or indecent or filthy is one of them. Nothing that's obscene or misleading, nothing that can trick or mislead other users. (laughs) Again, these these are not normal, right? Like how does a company decide that a post is quote unquote, filthy? Like what, what what are the standards you go by to set a clear line for what's filthy and what's not filthy? And also like, how do you, I mean, if this does become a thing that a lot of people are using, like what does your content moderation team even look like to enforce those kinds of rules? it's bizarre. Um, and yeah, all of this will conflict with the fact that people who are joining this website don't want really anything to be pulled down. You've seen these kinds of debates happen on the other websites like Gab and Gitter and Parlor. There's even kind of a spectrum of acceptance in those websites that play with the far right to where like on Gab, you can pretty much say whatever anti-Semitic hateful thing you want, and they just accept it. You know, the, 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 small group of people who run that website are just fine with it and whatever. But on like Gitter and Parler, they have some semblance of rules, right? They don't, they've, they've said no hate speech. They've said like they've banned some, you know, white supremacists and, and they even have rolled out what I think are very basic content moderation tools that you would expect really that you, we should all demand of any website in the modern era to have stuff to look for, you know child sexual abuse material and just like ultra violent stuff like the the internet has systems to find these kinds of things nobody should object to those and the this it's it's effectively a solved problem in terms of deploying that software onto a lot of websites it's why you don't just see child sexual abuse material when you open up most websites those websites have rolled out those and you know people have been angry at even that kind of level because they said, okay, here we go with the big tech censorship again. This is cancel culture all over again. So I think Truth Social is going to face that conversation too, where anything they pull down is going to be criticized as an, an overstep. We have seen early on with Truth Social, one of the first accounts that I see saw to actually get banned was an account named after Devin Nunes' cow. And and the reason why that's sort of interesting is because Devin Nunes threw a fit about uh, a a Devin Nunes cow parody account on Twitter that was posting all sorts of critical sort sort of parodying Devin Nunes. He took it to court. The suit went nowhere. So somebody kind of jokingly made that on True Social saying like, you know, the subtext being, if you're really committed to free speech, you'll accept this. And of course it was Cancelled immediately. The other thing I saw is that um somebody, I I saw this on TikTok, somebody posted, uh, created an account on True Social that was named Walmart. And uh, this person was not Walmart. This was just some guy. And uh, I think one of their first posts was something about, you know, offering contraceptives or abortion or something. And that account was deleted almost immediately too. So, you know, people are going to be testing True Social a lot. And we, you know, the company has really said nothing about like, how many content moderators do they have? What sort of guidelines are they abiding by? Is there any kind of appeals process? Like, again, all of that stuff is important to talk about and understand. There's a whole sort of way of speaking about it. And we haven't even really been able to start that conversation because True Social is just so so elementary and like how it's been set up.
2: Yeah, it's kind of mind boggling because, you know, as I'm fond of saying, it's kind of the life cycle of a user generated content platform that, you know, as soon as people start posting, you're going to encounter content moderation issues. And there are still platforms that don't anticipate those problems, but this is a platform that's like totally centered around its content moderation. It supposedly exists because of the unique content moderation offering that it's going to to provide. And yet it still seems like they are not prepared for, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, you were saying that a lot of the user base is going to be the kinds of people who expect not much content moderation. But on the other hand, you know, platforms have to walk a fine line because while that's certainly true in some areas like political misinformation and things like that. The story that we've seen with the other alt tech platforms like Parler and Getter is that inevitably they do have to moderate somewhat because an unmoderated platform is just like awful uh, mm-hmm. for, for users. You know, you've got people who just post, you know, people defecating or, you know, nobody really wants to see child sexual abuse material mm-hmm. or ISIS propaganda and things like that. And so, you know, it, it sort of seems like there's going to be this inevitable showdown or sort of uh, tension between, you know, we want to provide the, the the free speech. That is our value offering, this idea that we're not going to content moderate, but at the same time, an unpleasant platform is unpleasant for everyone, including uh, people who sort of value free speech. And, and so in your reporting, you've sort of, you've got no indication at all that they've got anywhere along I mean because they're obviously sort of thinking about it in some respects like they have these reasonably long and somewhat uh detailed moderation guidelines I mean they're kind of hilarious because Trump who is sort of somewhat Famous, famously tweeted out the words repeal 230 at some point, uh, actually invokes the language of 230 in these guidelines saying that they can take down otherwise objectionable content. So they are thinking about this problem that they're going to have of needing to take down content, but your reporting suggests that they haven't actually got any of the infrastructure that they would need to implement that. Is that right?
0: That's right. Yeah, I mean, and they haven't they haven't talked about it at all, right? Like they they have you know, anybody can put anything in a privacy policy, but actually enforcing it is a whole other thing. We don't see that they have had any kinds of discussion with like external experts on like you know, what this kind of enforcement mechanism would look like. We don't have any sense of like what their methodology will be in in terms of like finding and policing for this kind of this kind of material. And, you know, I hesitate to even talk about it because everybody else on this call has probably written more and thought more about content moderation than I have. But I I think your point is a really good one in that people say they don't want content moderation and that they support free speech until they go onto a website with no content moderation. Unbridled free speech where anybody on the internet can post whatever they want is just, nobody wants that, right? You can can get that on on some of the chans. There are places on the internet that are very dark that you you do not want to spend any time on. That's not really what most reasonable people on the planet want. And, you know, from a business standpoint, it's not exactly a way to get advertisers or make yourself look good for an upcoming presidential election. So, you know, I will be curious if they actually stand up a team to deal with these issues on truth social content moderation is an extremely difficult problem that all of the big companies are dealing with even today they spend a lot of money on it and fail constantly it's an extremely it, it, it is a quagmire for a lot of people so for true social to not even have take in that first step into the muck suggests that, you know, it, it's going to be an issue and it's it's not something they can really avoid if they're wanting to create a place where people will be able to post whatever they want.
2: Yeah. So you just mentioned one of the most powerful engines of content moderation that we often don't talk about, which is advertisers um, and the idea that they often drive a lot of content moderation because they don't want to appear uh, next to otherwise objectionable content and presumably that's the way that this platform intends to make money if it is intended to make money or if it's just, you know, some sort of political stunt or supposed to be part of a a campaign strategy. I'm curious if you know anything about how they're intending to monetize the platform if, you know, given that this is supposed to launch sometime really soon, if you've heard anything about deals with advertisers or what the monetization strategy is going to be at all.
0: The the answer is no. You know, it's funny because that should be like one of the first things that is discussed for a business like this. They have said nothing. We don't know of any companies that have teamed up with True Social. We don't know of any partnership deals. We don't even know that they'll be using sort of one of the pre-made, you know, ad networks like a Google AdWords. I mean, I would be surprised if they were, but we just don't. We don't see any way for them to monetize something that will cost them money to run you know, and Devin Nunes has said like, hey, we have, we're we we're building all of this from scratch because we don't want, we want to be bulletproof. We don't want to have to deal with Amazon Web Services, you know, severing, working with us like they did with Parler, which was a huge blow to Parler after January 6th. They, so they want to run their own, you know, cloud computing infrastructure. They want to run their own, kind of cybersecurity software, sort of like a cloud flare that would prevent, you know, people from DDoSing the website offline. So they have to do that. They have, they want to run their own hosting. So, you know, they're effectively at step one in a lot of these ways, including as far as we know, advertising. Now, they could come out tomorrow with, hey, we've got all of these, you know, signed on companies that are going to advertise with us, but we don't hear any kind of whisper of that. And, you know, I think that's a problem because running a website and paying developers typically cost money and a lot of money. And to keep that online as a, as a functioning business for a long time, they're, they're going to need to get money from somewhere. I will say, you know, they have teamed up with like the, uh, some companies that have never really done much. Like there's, they have this tech firm, right? Forge holdings that will kind of be their ostensibly their version of like a web host aws kind of thing but these are untested companies these are people we really don't know too much about and you know there are a lot of companies in in american tech uh so is this going to be something that's actually a differentiator or is this just another another kind of attempt to to copy what what the other websites do and and stand up a a, a legitimate front but at this point yeah there's just there's really more questions and answers on this Company, and there's not really a good sense that they're going to have that connective tissue they need to like reach people and and fund themselves. And, you know, that's kind of an issue because if Trump is really going to be running in 2024, he's gonna need every penny he can get. I mean, a political campaign is extremely expensive. So, you know, it's possible they have somebody like Peter Thiel or a really sort of rich sort of benefactor to to help them in that way but you know if you want to run a business you need revenue and revenue for websites tends to be advertising and at this point advertising is a big zero for true social
1: and so if their plan is to sort of build up an alternative internet infrastructure do we know you know are they using aws now do we have any sense of that or is it totally opaque?
0: I don't think they're using AWS and I would be surprised if they were. And you know, any connection they have to the legitimate business world is another vulnerability for them because remember, I mean for years now we have had groups like Sleeping Giants and and boycott sort of groups that are left-leaning that aim pretty much wherever they can to get these companies to stand down from from working with conservative voices online who they feel like are just constant, you know, spreaders of misinformation. So, you know, that has been a big reason why the Trump people have said, we're not even going to attempt making those relationships because down the road they could, we could get the rug pulled out from under us and be back to square one. So again, never say never, but we don't, the, the main real, you know, tech company connections we have are the fact that, that you can download Truth Social on the Apple app store. As far I mean, and that's that's a very small step in this. But beyond that, like the the main scaffolding of running the website, we know very little about except that it's really not connected to the main big tech companies that you would expect.
1: So, what are your predictions for the future of of Truth Social? Do you think they'll be able to get all of this infrastructure running? It sounds like that that might be a uh... A bit of a risky bet. We've seen other alt tech platforms like, you know, Getter kind of flame out. Looking into the future, a few months ahead, what do you predict?
0: Yeah, so I'm terrible at predictions. I will say, you know, looking at the trajectory of very similar websites that did not have Trump but had pretty much the same business model, you know, I could see Truth Social in six months actually being a website that people can create accounts on. I mean that that is Probably like the lowest possible standard for it. But, you know, the thing is, it should not be challenging to create a website. It should not be challenging to like get people to make an account and use the thing that is on their computer. That has been a solved problem for at this point years and years. But the thing that is harder is building up an actual, you know, social network to keep people coming back, building up a base of advertisers to fund the infrastructure you need to keep those people coming back. And also just building up a culture of like, you know, do people actually want to come here? Like, what is what is pulling them in? What is the differentiator on a big Internet where there are lots of interesting things to see? What is driving them to true social? You know, if if Donald Trump goes on there and starts saying a, a bunch of really big things that get people's attention, that they can't find anywhere else, um, and that people go onto Truth Social and it becomes this whole big thing. That's their main ambition. That's that's their dream. But I, I, you know, it's hard for me to see that happening in time for it to really make a difference because, you know, we have all of these other websites that are competing. We have these giant websites that do pretty much everything technically better than what we've seen from Truth Social. And the clock is ticking on its usefulness in terms of what Trump needs for politics. You know, the the internet is always shifting, right? And, you know, we've seen lately video is the new main currency. Like that is, you know, there's a reason why platforms like TikTok are are giant and growing all the time. But that conversation is, again, totally different from true social. True social is nowhere near that possibility of, of growth that these other These other platforms are so it's all again going to rely on on Trump, can he build up uh, the network effects to say to to convince people that this is somewhere they want to spend their time and just outraging them politically is not really going to pierce the mainstream in a way that he needs so i'm hesitant, but you know anything could happen.
2: Well, this was some pretty hilarious and welcome light counter-programming this week. Thanks, Drew. Um, For those in need of any extra relief, we should go back and put a voiceover in at the start that uh, tells people to uh, take a drink every time you say, this is not normal, or we know very little. Um, I think those two pretty much sum up the, the vibe so far. Thanks very much for joining us, Drew.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: You've been listening to Arbiters of Truth, the Lawfare Podcast series on our online information ecosystem. You can find past episodes in the Lawfare Podcast feed and in our new separate Arbiters of Truth feed, and we'll be back with another episode next Thursday. Remember to subscribe to the separate feed so you can find new episodes when they come out. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. Our audio engineer was Kara Schillen. And our producer is Jen Pacha Howell. Please rate and review the Lawfare podcast and Arbiters of Truth on whatever app you use, and consider becoming a material supporter of Lawfare on Patreon. As always, thanks for listening.